Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Welcome to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Amr. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. We're still coming to you from our makeshift home studios as we do our part to stay safe and keep others safe during the coronavirus outbreak. But unlike us, some people can't stay home. First responders, people who work in grocery stores or food delivery, and of course, our healthcare workers. We're seeing stories of overwhelmed hospitals in places like New York and New Jersey, where doctors are working longer hours under very stressful conditions. Just doing your job means making personal sacrifices. You know, it's a bit lonely. I miss my kids. I miss my wife. Um, I talk to them, you know, obviously every night. Um, We FaceTime uh, before the kids go to bed. Um, We talk through our days. Um, But, you know, I'm here alone. I have dinner alone. Um, And I I miss my family. That's Dr. Zahir Kanji. He's a physician in Boston, and when he's working with COVID-19 patients, he decided it's best to separate himself from his family, even going as far as living in a separate house because he worries about possibly infecting his wife and two young children. You know, everybody's working really hard um, in uncertain times, um, so that can be, you know, uh, intellectually challenging, clinically challenging, but also kind of emotionally difficult. But there's still this sense of duty, this same sense of duty that's led thousands of retired healthcare workers across the country to sign up to help. And it's led others like Brianna Engelson, a fourth-year medical student at the University of Minnesota, to find other creative ways to support medical staff on the front lines. We offered uh, many different services, but it was very clear from the beginning that childcare was the biggest need. And so we really leaned into that. And that's been our main focus. Engelson helped organize a group called COVID Sitters in Minnesota. Now, almost 300 medical, nursing, and dental students have signed up to help babysit the children of healthcare workers while daycares are closed. And it turns out, kindness spreads. In less than a couple of weeks, around 50 medical schools have started their own chapters. These are students who are missing out on their classes, their graduations, and important medical training at hospitals. Being placed on the sidelines during the pandemic was tough. I'm, I went into medicine, like all of my peers, to help people. And for all of us to see that this is a way that we could provide help in a really big way, I think gave us a sense of purpose. It has also given me a sense of community. They'll keep volunteering for as long as they're needed. No one really knows when this will be over. And that uncertainty can take a toll on clinicians. Dr. Mona Masoud is a psychiatrist in greater Philadelphia. And she's worried about the effect this pandemic is having on her colleagues. For a physician, we've been, we've trained very hard um, to face a lot of uncertainty, uncertain situation. However, with COVID-19, we weren't so much afraid of the illness itself, but the onslaught. And we were afraid that in the end, even though we have the training, we are just, in fact, human. So Dr. Masood set up a hotline where she and other psychiatrists are volunteering their time to support clinicians who need to talk. I wanted all the doctors to have this in their back pocket, that no matter what, someone is available for me. 
just to know that there's an invisible army behind me to help me through this. Dr. Kanji says that clinicians feel an allegiance with everyone else working these days. Don't forget all those other people who don't have MD or RN after their name. If they're working in a hospital cafeteria to feed us so that we can keep taking care of patients or, you know, uh, watching the doors or working security, all those people who are working in the hospital or working in healthcare more generally. Which is a good reminder that all of us can also help. You know, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this work. Um, and we will, you know, we're lining up to do it. Um, and I just, we just hope that people will take precautions to limit the spread of this disease so that the numbers stay low and that we can take care of people. So how can you be kind to the healthcare workers and others who are doing so much for us right now? It's easy. Stay home. What extraordinary acts of kindness have you seen during the coronavirus pandemic? Email us at kindworld at wbur.org or call and leave us a message, 617-353-6350. That's 617-353-6350. Up next on Kind World, how a selfless act actually helped one woman regain her faith in the medical community. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Kind World. I'm Yasmin Ammer. And I'm Andrea Aswahe. So in the first part of our show, we told you about the wonderful work being done by medical professionals and for medical professionals. And our main story this week touches on that too. But this story is more about rediscovering the power of medicine and finding connection through it. Seven years ago, Michael Romano went for a jog through his neighborhood in Somerville, Massachusetts. It was a typical summer day for the high school science teacher. The last thing he expected was that his run would be the start of a life-changing medical journey. That night kind of felt like maybe I was having symptoms of a heart attack. I went to the emergency room and and they said, you know, your heart's fine, um, but you have some interesting blood chemistry. Not exactly what you want to hear if you're a relatively healthy 35-year-old. After they did an ultrasound, they saw these large cysts all over both of my kidneys, and they said, you know, that's pretty characteristic of polycystic kidney disease. Polycystic kidney disease, a genetic disorder where cysts develop over time and reduce the function of the kidneys. Doctors treat the symptoms of the disease because there is no cure. Michael was in shock, but he went on with his life now keeping a closer watch on his health. By 2017, his situation started to head south, and then he reached a critical point. He faced three daunting options. Transplant, dialysis, or death. 
Michael didn't want to go down the path of dialysis, so that left the hope of a transplant. He signed up for the National Kidney Registry, which matches donors with patients in need. You hear some statistics about kidney donation and the number of people waiting for kidneys and people passing away from lack of of receiving a kidney, but you just think, I'm not going to be one of those statistics. I'm going to work harder and smarter to find someone. I have lots of friends and I have, you know, lots of people in my network, so of course I'll find someone. A year went by and no luck. No family members or friends matched as donors. So Michael, who considers himself a pretty private person, decided to step out of his comfort zone and go public with his request. Very public. I just sat down and just started writing a post. I took, I thought, a pretty great selfie of me with this stuffed kidney someone had given me. I put in some statistics from National Kidney Foundation and posted it on Facebook and just kind of waited to see what happened. Michael's heartfelt post was shared more than a thousand times, with people all over the country asking if they could donate a kidney. Doctors sorted through the offers to see who could be a donor. They narrowed the search down to just two people. Surprisingly, at the top of the list was Genevieve Hammond, Michael's colleague at Acton Foxborough Regional High School. 57-year-old Genevieve had just spent a year entangled in the medical system herself and was still grieving the recent loss of her mother, who died after a difficult fight against cancer. Genevieve says her mother received excellent medical care, but her bedside care left a lot to be desired. As kind as everyone was and as well-meaning as they were, it didn't feel like they really got it, and it just didn't seem that hard to get. After enduring chemotherapy and radiation and living with chronic pain, Genevieve's mother was deemed cancer-free. But six months later, she died. Genevieve was devastated, but dove right back into work, barely giving herself time to grieve. Then she saw the Facebook post requesting a kidney from her colleague and friend, Michael Romano. His vulnerability made me feel like it was important to match that and meet that. So Genevieve, who was in a vulnerable place herself, filled out Michael's donation form. A few weeks later, the treatment team called her to say she was officially in the running to be Michael's donor. I was sitting at my desk in my classroom, and it was like a thunderbolt. You know, it really was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Michael and Genevieve then started an endless array of tests. And that's when Genevieve started to see a different side of the medical community, especially the care and compassion she was shown throughout the testing process. She realized she jumped into this life-changing choice for an unexpected reason, as a way to channel her grief. And so when people would say, like, do you think it has to do with your mother? Yeah, I think it does. It's not going to make it go away the way she died or that she died. But it just allowed my emotions to be on my sleeve more than I think we let ourselves be most of the time. That summer, Genevieve got the call she was waiting for. She could donate one of her kidneys to Michael. She wanted to share her news with him right away. She had said to me, I want to go out to dinner. And I knew that This is almost like a proposal. Like, I knew what she was going to be telling me, and it was just really exciting. You know, I could tell he was choked up, I was choked up, and it was just an amazing, great moment. It just felt like such a gift to be able to 
do this. In October 2018, Michael and Genevieve were admitted into Massachusetts General Hospital for their surgeries. Genevieve remembers waking up from the anesthesia. The first thing I said when I woke up was just like, is it working? Is my kidney working in him? You know, and they said it was. And it was like, that was amazing. So when I woke up, I remember asking, how's Genevieve? And they immediately said, she's great. And she's recuperating, you know, a couple doors down. It's been a year and a half since the transplant surgery, and both Genevieve and Michael are doing well. I know that I was in pain or discomfort or whatever, but that's not what stays with me. That feeling of being told that it was working, it was like fireworks. And it just felt like everything that I had felt about doing this, about how right it was, was proven to be true. For Michael... Genevieve's act of giving changed everything. His symptoms are gone, and he's healthy again. And he feels a constant sense of gratitude toward Genevieve. How do you pay someone back who saved your life? I am so incredibly grateful that I need to pay it back to her, but also pay it forward to others. And I'm just thrilled to be able to, you know, still be around to do that. Next week on Kind World, after a devastating loss, a woman set out on a mission to help fight addiction in her rural community. We can do this. And we do. We've done it. We've proven it. It's exciting. And now we're seeing the next steps. So nothing's in our way. Nothing is in our way. That's next Tuesday on Kind World. Thanks for listening to Kind World this week. Be sure to follow us on Instagram for updates, news stories, and a behind-the-scenes look at how we produce our show. Maybe a look into our at-home podcast production setups. We're at WBUR Kind World. Kind World is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station. Paul Vikas and Matt Reed do our sound design. Sophie Eisenberg is our WBUR fellow. Catherine Brewer is our managing producer and editor, and Iris Adler is our executive producer. I'm reporter and producer Yasmin Amr. And I'm reporter and producer Andrea Aswahe. Remember, this Friday, we'll have another listener voicemail drop in your feed, so you can start your weekend off right with our Friday moment of kindness. If you have a story, call 617-353-6350 and leave us a voicemail. Thanks for listening. See you next week.